Welcome to The Drift, your resource on all things business strategy, entrepreneurship, and leadership. I'm your host, Aloiza, and today's guest is the founder of Razbudit and former director of operations at Women in Sports Tech, Gretchen Reeves. During Gretchen's time at WIS, she focused on driving growth opportunities for women at all stages of their careers through the sports technology landscape, and now she's helping others build their dream by offering financial services consulting, business operations expertise, and so much more. So without further ado, welcome Gretchen. Awesome to be here. Well, we're so excited to have you. So with that said, can you share with us a little background on yourself and what got you started? I grew up as a third culture kid. And um, when I graduated with a degree in architecture, there were literally no jobs available. And so I took a fellowship opportunity and I moved to Cairo. Um, I eventually earned my MBA at Thunderbird, which is an international MBA program that focuses on cross-culture and also foreign language. Um, And then when I graduated, I sold my grandmother's hand-me-down Oldsmobile and I bought a one-way ticket to Moscow and started my professional career as a management consultant with Pricewaterhouse. Um, After Russia, I had a variety of opportunities in consulting and marketing board leadership, and eventually I landed in Switzerland and I opened my own company. Small business ownership was awesome because it was everything, right? It was coaching and leadership and management and finance and design and client interaction and community building. It was um, it was a great all-around experience for me. Um, and really, it also really was the start of me building up other people whether or not it was a client that was coming into the gym or they were uh, women that wanted to begin their own coaching careers, um, focusing on different problems that were both athletic, but also personal and societal. So it was a pretty, pretty awesome experience. Um, All of this was before the age of global nomadism. You know, we did have email (laughs) and some things like that, but it wasn't the explosion of the last 10 years uh, where we've really seen a lot of growth in, in tech. Um, when I landed in California just over six years ago, I had just sold that business because of relocation. And through another consulting gig, I bumped into Mary Lou McFarland, who is the founder of Women in Sports Tech. Um, I had the bandwidth, and that's when I started my work as their director of operations, which um, I held until just the end of last month. Well, thank you so much for the for the context. And I definitely want to delve into your background, especially considering the fact that you were a business owner. And it's so incredibly powerful to hear how these career transitions, not only one, take place, but also two, even if it may not necessarily be right in front of us, there are actually some underlying themes. So speaking to what we would typically call or phrases of the sea of opportunities, right? How I've always envisioned it, and please correct me if I'm wrong as well, is that there's really only slivers or moments that we can capture these opportunities. So can you walk me through the process that you especially took in becoming a CrossFit owner, um, how that came into fruition, and then also what were some of the biggest challenges? How did you overcome them? And I would say slight segue and caveat first. Um, I definitely have not had anything resembling a traditional career path, you know, and so um, I believe in building your own ladder 
and creating your own opportunities. So I've had a handful of very unusual experiences that have crafted who I am today. Um, so it may not be for everybody. There are some people that prefer a more traditional route. Um, but for me, uh, I've just landed in interesting places. And when I've had opportunities, I've tried to jump on them. And CrossFit was certainly one of those. Um, we lived in uh, Latvia when CrossFit started becoming a thing. And my sister had started doing it in the U.S. And so we looked it up and we, were doing, we started doing workouts in our living room. Uh, the first workout we ever did was Murph. And if you know anything about CrossFit, that's one of the worst workouts you could possibly do as your first ever CrossFit workout, especially if you don't have any pull-ups yet and you barely have a pull-up bar and you have three little kids that you're trying to juggle. My husband and I tag-teamed. Um, we, we did it. We survived it. It was not pretty. It's a good thing nobody had cameras back then recording their workouts and sharing them online because I'm sure it was rather amusing. Um, but we were hooked and we just started, you know, looking it up online and doing it in our, our living room and office. And um, one summer we were back in the States and we joined a local affiliate, trained for our, our first triathlon with it, had really great success. And about a year later, we ended up moving to Switzerland. Um, shortly after we arrived there, an affiliate opened uh, uh, just literally a couple kilometers from where we lived. Um, and we joined, we were the first people that had actually done CrossFit before that joined their gym. Like literally it was, um, in the, in the beginnings of CrossFit, especially in Europe. Um, I ended up doing my level one while I was uh, at that gym and did a couple other certificate courses. And then eventually we moved closer to the international school where my kids were studying. And that was 20 kilometers away from two different affiliates. Um, huge opportunity and, that I saw, and I had uh, other people around me that were interested in, in creating a new affiliate and making that happen. So we launched, it was called Gretchen's Garage, is where we, we started the CrossFit affiliate, um, and it grew pretty quickly. We ended up renting a space, and then that transitioned into a much bigger 1,000-foot, totally amazing, totally weird, but amazing space, um, and uh that's basically how, how that started. Um, but one of the challenges, I think, for CrossFit overall, U.S. specifically about challenges there, with CrossFit, there's, you can take your level one and you're, you're given carte blanche to open your affiliate, but there's not a structure that teaches you how to create a sustainable business, right, or, or an actual uh, business model that's going to feed you and feed your coaches. A lot of them, a lot of times they are sort of lifestyle hobby uh, business opportunities. And so for me, it was really managing that growth, growing organically, you know, being smart about buying options, what equipment is going to elevate the, the programming for our clientele without breaking our budget, um, what is really going to be used, what's going to elevate the fitness of our entire community. Uh, also with CrossFit, um, to build relationships and community. I mean, they really, if you're if part of a CrossFit gym that works, and it really depends on the owners of your gym and who the coaches are and how you interact with them. But my, my philosophy of CrossFit that I've developed while I was coaching was really more than just a place where you show up and work out, right? We, um, we offered community activities. We participated in an annual cancer, you know, dragon race boats. Um, we had coaching for international school teams. Um, we offered yoga and cycling. 
um, and powerlifting from a female European badass Olympic lifter, Fanny. She was totally cool. And we had a real strong network of coaches, you know, people that were, we had professional coaches. We also had people that wanted to become coaches. And so we really offered development opportunities. Um, and so a lot of it was just managing that in Switzerland in particular, and I'm sure it's similar in some other big cities, but Switzerland is notorious for very rigorous uh, rules on how you live like how high you trim your shrubs, when you can hang your duvet out the window to air, you know, when you can make loud noise, when you're allowed to work on your yard. Um, it's very hard to find real estate for a gym, let alone a CrossFit gym. CrossFits don't make friends anywhere, right? Not with the, the very heavy lifting that's repetitive and kind of loud and the, the tendency to throw bars around. So it's particularly challenge, challenging in Switzerland. I remember multiple discussions with other affiliate owners. I mean, everybody has a story about what you can do, what you can't do, how you got away with some kind of outrageous noise, how you got busted for some ridiculous deadlifting session that happened when you were you know, not paying attention and your clients went crazy. Um, and that was, that was a huge problem and maybe one of the biggest challenges in Switzerland. But managing that was really about communication. And that's one of my big personal things. I mean, communicating internally and externally, being transparent with our membership, also communicating with the tenants in the building who were quite irate, um, communicating with the landlord, trying to come up with solutions, always being open to ideas and suggestions um, that really mitigated what could have been an even uglier situation. So, To this day, that's one of the biggest challenges for a CrossFit affiliate in Switzerland itself, aside from pandemic-related issues that are now plaguing everybody and creating a gym. But um, again, a lot of it comes down to who you are as a leader and what, how you tackle problems. You know, Do you sweep them under the rug and hope they go away? Do you meet them face on and try to make a difference? Um, I've always believed that even if you can't be completely transparent, that a little truth goes a long way. And um, at least sharing as much of that as possible with the right parties um, can create a pretty good result. There's so many things that I took away from that too. And what's incredibly powerful about those themes that you mentioned is that it truly is transferable for all entrepreneurs and business owners. You know, I think at times, and if not all times, there isn't, when you're tapping into a new business venture, they're typically, unless, of course, you're going to a franchise model, but um, there typically isn't this playbook. There isn't this perfect recipe that is perfectly executed across all markets, regardless of the assumptions. But the themes that you mentioned is really something that all business owners and entrepreneurs can take away from. And it's one community, and I think especially in the fitness world, the health and wellness space has completely transformed into this dynamic model. Whereas now the gym, the fitness centers, they're not at the forefront. It's the community. It's, it's the, it's the members. Um, the second kind of theme and takeaway that I took away from this as well is really the importance of communication. And then the last one, when you mentioned about just being always open, it's this notion of just being, of having humility. And even though you are a subject matter expertise, I mean, to be frank, that's why you started a company in the first place for all, all, all business owners. But 
there's moments where you may not know what you don't know, especially as you're doing and juggling so many things. It's important to have that sense of humility, humility behind you so that we, you are building this team to help support your venture. And I would also say, even if you do have that playbook, um, that doesn't mean it's always going to work in your circumstance, right? And you need to be willing to look at it and say, okay, everybody else is doing that, but I don't know if that's right for my particular moment in time, right? Maybe that's right later. I mean, I think you can see that too, like in Silicon Valley with a lot of startups, you know, all the benefits that they're planning to shower on everybody just automatically. Well, that's totally fine. But if at the end that means that you can't make a profit, you might have to make some decisions in the interim, like what works for you, you know, look around. Yes. Look for those best practices. Um, but also be open to asking questions and looking around and, I think more importantly with that playbook, don't create a vacuum, right? Don't surround yourself with people that are going to tell you what you want to hear. You want some of that because you want to have a shared vision and you want to collaborate. But at the same time, if you don't know what you don't know, by talking to people that are telling you what you want to hear, you're not going to find out what it is you don't know until it's too late. I completely, completely agree. Now, fast forwarding now over to your time with Women in Sports Tech and working with Mary Lou, how did you begin to shape opportunities for women specifically that are interested in coming into the sports technology industry? I'm so incredibly fascinated. It was a, um, a passion project for Mary Lou. And when WIST was born, um, literally sports tech industry was 95% male. I mean, I do think we have made some inroads over the last few years, but it is like sports, uh, a dom, you know, predominantly male um, opportunity. And and the issue is, even if you have a company that wants to hire women, there aren't women in the pipelines. So, I mean, we had a pretty broad uh, picture of what we were trying to solve. Um, the first thing we did immediately, we launched a fellowship program and we provided fellowship grants uh, in the summertime for women who were interested in an internship in a sports tech startup. Um, in the first two years, it was pretty small. Uh, we had four and then five uh, fellows. And then the third year, we pivoted, thanks to some input from a great board member, creating a more equitable uh, fellowship program that made it more open to supportive parents necessarily, or some kind of trust fund that would allow them to work almost for free for the summer. Um, last In that year, we had 15 fellows, which was huge. Um, and then this past summer, we actually had 24 fellows. It was, I mean, we've been on pretty strong tra trajectory and we align them. Some women come to us with projects. They know exactly what they want to do and what they, how they want to get experience in sports tech, but there's all kinds of women who could be interested in sports tech if they knew where to start. And so now the majority of our fellowship um, grants go to women with a structured opportunity. So startups or corporate sponsors that we have will list something and they'll say, okay, these are my top three choices. I'm going to go work as a data engineer at, at um, Comcast. And so then we create the structure that allows them to have that experience. Um, that has been truly phenomenal and it's been a great pairing and match it's basically like a matchmaker going out in the ether and finding women that would be willing to consider this because a lot of people don't even think about it as a career right um which is the second prong of wist is sharing information 
uh, about sports tech and what types of jobs there are because there's you know coding and there's marketing and there's data science there's all like client engagement and vetting you name it you know the biomechanics uh, I mean everybody that you talk to on the drift right there's some really amazing things that are happening in tech um, and sharing that information is great so we have a series of uh, interviews that are published on the website with different leaders from a variety of sports tech companies. Uh, we have webinars where we interview usually two people at a time to get their take on specific um, aspects, you know, whether or not it's AR, VR, or shoe design, um, you know, fan engagement, those types of things, so that we really showcase a broad uh, spectrum of what we actually do in the industry. Um, and then we also, in terms of job opportunities, we started a jobs board to start listing opportunities in sports tech, and that has grown this last um, this last year. It became the network, which is where candidates can go in and create a profile for free, um, and that's a candidate pool that people that are interested in working in uh, hiring people in sports tech can go and just browse, and also candidates who are interested, we have a lot of job listings there, everything from internships all the way up to C-suite level positions, so that it's really a meeting ground. Um, it's sort of a one-stop shop for people that are interested in, in sports tech. So those three things have really created a platform and a structure to generate more interest and, um, I don't know, more candidates, more women physically, you know, involved in sports tech. And then the West, West Next Gen was launched and that really targets high school women so that they are encouraged to stay in their STEM classes and continue to play their sport, you know, even through college. A lot of people give up uh, and stop playing their sport and they stop studying those things thinking, I mean, telling them that they can work in that for the rest of their lives and have a, a, a great livelihood sometimes is eye-opening for them. So just sharing that information has been really powerful in terms of making a difference. There's so much, so much power behind that. And I think I also do have a, a personal, personal connection to it as well, because if I take a couple steps back and I take a look at the position and the path that I'm on to date, you know, it's very different from when I started. And being a Filipino woman, um, there's a lot of a lot of stigmas out there, and it's it, it, there's actually some comedies about it now too. About how the majority of the time, Filipino women go into nursing. And my mother was a nurse. She is a nurse. She loves her job. So of course, uh, I that was what I saw. That was my she's my role model, my best friend. If she's listening, she's always listening. So I have to call that out. Um, but she was a nurse and I thought that was my calling. And when my family migrated from the Philippines to the US, my dad, he actually went into the business world. I had no idea what that was like. I had no idea that was an opportunity, but it was the fact that I actually was able to witness it for his hand and that I was able to capture more content, capture more information about what the opportunities were. What are the different types of job paths and careers out there for people inside the business space? Um, and ultimately that's how I was able to find this whole new opportunity that I didn't have to be in nursing just because that's the first thing that I saw that doesn't necessarily mean it's my path. Um, and I think there's so much power about just ultimately providing the information for others to be able to drive their own decisions themselves. But 
you're right. It really comes down to providing them the content in the first place. And I mean, I do know like from some of our board members over the last few years, there aren't as many lonely onlys. I'm not as one, especially in the VC world, you know that the representation of women is not even shocking. I mean, just it's disparagingly low. Um, but there is, there is positive change, right? I, I mean, I look at it sort of as like reaching base camp on your trek towards Everest, right? There are several stages along the way. And while we can celebrate sort of small victories, you really have to have your eye on the long, the long game. And the long game is far from over, even if we're making small inroads. But we have to make the small inroads to, to get to the end. That's exactly it. You know, it really comes down to the, the theme or concept of leadership and leadership development. So I was recently reading a article that was published by the Harvard Business Review. And what was interesting about this article is that they spoke about how people become leaders by first internalizing a leadership identity and developing a sense of purpose. And now I think it's it, not, I think, but I believe it is because of the pandemic. We're seeing this moment in time that people are calling the great resignation. You know, people are, are, are really making a whole new change for themselves and their career paths. So through the lens of someone that is that could potentially be thinking about or is in the process of changing their career path, what are some tactical approaches that you would recommend? I would say I entirely agree about that shift. And I really think that shift has been happening for a long time. I mean, we've been working in a very hierarchical, sort of dominant culture. And I, I firmly believe that the future of work and the future of our planet is much more collaborative. And so I think that the, um, the pandemic has given people more of an opportunity to share their voice because I really think that there is leadership in everybody. It doesn't matter if you have the C-suite title, right? If you have a company, if you have a project, if you have a team, there's more than one person that is creating that. And so, and there's different leadership um, characteristics in each of those people. Yes, one might be the visionary, the other might be the operational, the other person might be, yes, the don't give up, <laughs> we can do this, this is a long haul. And it doesn't matter what your title is, you can contribute towards that. And I think that's super important. And yes, it does. It starts with getting to know yourself and deciding what's really important to you. Um, and I also think not being afraid to share your ideas and share your voice. I'm not suggesting you be an anarchist and you know really throw everything in their face. You can, but there are ways that you can market your message and be a lot more effective. You know, this works, but I have an idea we could do a little bit better in this way. And that is gonna develop your own confidence, right? When you know that it's the right thing to do and you can um, encourage other people on your team or within your company to actually follow suit, I think that helps develop your own sort of sense of leadership and self. Um, I do think it's important to know what you're good at, what you're not good at, you know, your own sort of SWOT analysis. Um, what type of leadership can you provide, you know, and where do you need additional input? And is that input through somebody you collaborate with or is that in through some kind of self-awareness or self-improvement? Um, you know, what, what do you want to do in your 
career? Like, do you want a traditional corporate ladder? What's really important to you? Are you open to those slivers of opportunity? And are you willing to create your own path? Um, it's important to know that about yourself. I have a friend who just wanted uh, a solid paycheck. She goes, I don't care about everything else. I want a 401k and I want a paycheck and I, I'm, I can contribute and that's great. Um, you know, for me, I feel like I need to be creating some kind of positive change, even if it's on a small level, you know, even if it's on a team member changing the mindset on the way that you collaborate with vendors, or if it is allowing a younger team member to shine a little bit more, lifting other people up. And so I think really figure out where you want to go. I mean, one of the best advice from one of our board members at WIST was not only to think about what the next job is that you want, but where you want to go after that. You know, what are the stepping stones? What skills do you want to develop? Are you somewhere where you are developing those skills? Are you being lifted up and are you learning or is it time to find, you know, something else that is going to help you get where you're going? And it's not going to necessarily be a straight path right? It could be loop-de-loops. It could be all over the place. Um, but figuring out what's important to you is where it starts. Um, and then if you have, like, if you have an idea where you're going, I find, like, look around LinkedIn. I mean, in my perspective, there are a lot of genuine, authentic people that are there and reaching out to them just to connect with them, learn more about them, touch base with them. They might know somebody that you should talk to, right? You don't, it's, you don't have to reach out on LinkedIn because you want them to hire you, right? You can have a lot of ability to connect and information gather. Um, you don't know where where you're going to land. But I think working on your own internal compass, not only sort of your professional compass, but your moral compass um, is a really, really good way to start, if that answers that question in a very roundabout way. Oh my goodness. Yes. You know, it, I love the fact that you mentioned about creating your own SWOT analysis. I know it's a very tactical, it was an idea, but I definitely agree with that. And actually, as I'm thinking about it during my conversations, whenever I'm thinking about making a potential investment, I actually ask the founders, Hey, like this is, this is my quote unquote, my SWOT analysis. This is what I'm good at, but here's also why you wouldn't want to work with me. This is why this partnership would not work. And it's very, very honest. It's very transparent about the work that I can deliver. And then also my communication style, my leadership style. And I think that's something that I've ultimately learned um, from a former mentor, not former currently, actually, one of my first mentors. Um, and I was originally trying to get a promotion. And I actually put together this entire presentation deck of hey, like I want this promotion. Here are my strengths. Here are my weaknesses. Here are my opportunities. Here's why you would need to put me into this promotion. But then also to be very transparent, this is why I'm also not qualified enough and really trying to take this balanced approach in everything that you do, um, especially if, it, if we have individuals that may be completely moving on to a whole new industry, a whole new space that they may not necessarily be comfortable with yet. True, and it, it, I mean, you mentioned the collaboration and the transparency. And honestly, the greatest success in our future flat world is really creating that common ground, right? Creating a roadmap so that you know where, that you have a shared vision of where you're gonna go and you sort of agree how you're gonna get there. That doesn't mean you have to follow the path, 
But if you don't have that you, and you don't have it actually written down, um, it can cause it can cause problems later on for sure. Well, thinking of some other components when it comes to leadership development, there is this concept of executive presence. What does this mean to you and how would you encourage others to think about executive presence? That the pandemic has shown that work can be accomplished in a lot of different ways, even outside the traditional workplace. So, you know, I believe executive presence is sort of what we were talking about before, knowing yourself. Um, I think listening, being able to communicate, um, share, you know, sharing your voice, even if it's not always comfortable, all of that is going to build up. Your executive presence is really how people perceive you. You know, are you a collaborator? You know, do you have positive contributions? Are you helping the team move in the direction where it needs to go? And I think every experience that you have is is building towards that. And that's what people are looking at. Is that the kind of person that I want to work with? Um, you know, or is that the kind of person I want to become? Or is that somebody showing me something that I would prefer not to emulate, right? In, in life, right, you learn from mentors and managers, um, bosses and parents. Wow, I don't want to be like that when I grow up, right? You can learn um, a lot of different things, what you want to be, what you don't want to be. Um, global, I mean, Teams now, the tech stack is so amazing. I mean, I know if you've had a traditional in-person nine to five job, it's quite a transition to remote work, but there's a huge growing movement of this global nomad nomadism. It doesn't necessarily matter where you are. Um, and that tech stack, I work with a couple distributed teams, you know, we use Slack, we use shared documents, we communicate, you know, actively on a daily basis. We set up calls either weekly, sometimes daily, sometimes monthly, you know, that coordinate around time zones. And all of that creates connectivity. You can, I mean, bigger companies have their own internal infrastructures. There are a lot of ways um, to communicate and make that happen. But you also have to know yourself, right? Do you need to work on a team where you're with somebody physically nine to five? Can you work independently or not? Because those two people have different skills that apply maybe strengths in different areas. They mean they're maybe not perfect together, but maybe they can work um, in different areas on in your company, in your team, whatever is going on. But again, it comes back down to the leader, right? And um, the communication style in, in Russian, there's a phrase, and that means that the fish stinks from the head. So if you have some kind of breakdown in communication or team deliverable or whatever, it likely comes from the leadership, you know? So you have to decide what kind of fish head do you wanna be? Do you wanna be fresh and not smelling? Do you wanna, do you wanna listen to others and build them up? Um, you know, you have to lead by example and um, that executive presence is what people are looking towards in you as a leader. There's definitely a common thread in that as well you know, I actually think back to your days at CrossFit and and something that I actually always saw too, just being a consumer of CrossFit, is that the brand, the community of a CrossFit affiliate was purely determined by the owners, right? And you, you mentioned that. And that is something that is so evident across all companies, all industries. 
how that executive, how the CEOs, how the founders operate, how they communicate, how they interact with one another, that really does set the tone for how the entire organization is going to operate and then ultimately how others and how consumers are going to be able to view that company as well. Now, thinking of still along the lines of you know leadership development, and we also really touched on what the industry is going to look like and how we hope the industry is going to look like, how we hope the future of business is going to look like. Only 8% of CEOs at Fortune 500 companies are women. In your perspective, how can we propel the statistic forward? Start by supporting women, right? You support cultures and organizations that support women. You support businesses that support women. If there are businesses that are 100% not supporting women, don't support them, right? That's We have to start sort of living the culture that we want to exist. Um, as a woman, lift up other women. I mean, I think everybody would say it's fair that sometimes women are our own worst enemy. And it depends, again, on that communication competitiveness, you know, depending on how you got there, maybe, maybe you feel like other people have to work just as hard. But if you can, you really need to sort of open your heart and really pull up others with you. um, Because that that makes a huge difference. I think that the workplace is evolving. I think that culture is evolving. I mean, we've seen a lot of promises and actions on diversity, equity, and inclusion front. but we have to be part of that change. And so, you know, all of our, our decisions, our individual decisions, our, where we spend our time, where we spend our money, where we put our votes, uh, those are all critically important. Um, and, it, and it matters, right? The evolution is going to happen. Um, I personally choose to be an early adopter. I, I'm not going to wait around for everything to just happen. I'm going to start living in the world where that exists. And so I think easier said than done, right? In industries that are 95% male, but every decision matters, I think. And it comes down to even how you treat your colleagues at work, how you communicate with the women, how you um, work with mentees or mentors. All of it makes a difference. And on our current trajectory, I think it's gonna take 300 years to reach equity. Um, my mother thinks we've done fine <laughs> over the last couple of decades in her lifetime. I don't think it's fine enough. Um, I don't have any prescription for radical change, but I do know that we need it. And in the meantime, you know, I'll just, we, we should choose to support each other and support the companies and the leaders that are representative of the type of world in which we want to live. I completely agree. Well, future facing, any exciting things coming up that we can expect from you? I've got some interesting projects. I just launched my website um, this week. It's basically my first job was Pricewaterhouse as a management consulting. And I think my non-traditional life has pretty much proven to be sort of a, a, a management consulting collection. And so it's really just sort of a, a holding pattern for me, uh, representative of my philosophies and how I would like to work and how I'd like to help others work. Um, so we'll see. I don't know if that will grow into something big or if that's just going to be a temporary thing. Um, by default, I know um, I will 
be working on things that make the world a better place, whether in a small microcosm or on a big global scale, I'm not sure. Um, I, like my, my big task today actually is to find a pair of size men 13 shoes for my 16 year old. We live in Asia and those don't exist anywhere. And then in the next month or two, I'm gonna build my, my daughter back up. She's just finished her cancer treatment and six months of chemotherapy. So we've gotta get her back to university. Um, so in the meantime, continuing with some of my consulting projects, figuring out what I, I want to do when I grow up, look for the team that I think that could benefit best and take every day as it comes, positive steps forward, positive change. We'll see. So stay oh, that tuned. Is so, so wonderful. Oh, I'm definitely going to be staying tuned for sure. Well, I know a question for you. If you could give advice to a young woman that is desiring to be a future entrepreneur, what would you share with them? I would say follow your passion, uh, do your homework, do your research, ask a lot of questions, um, articulate, like if, if you have a vision already, artic write it down, hone it, um, think about it systematically, figure out what pain points you're actually trying to solve. Can you monetize that idea? Like you can have this great thing, but if you don't actually have a way to make it work, you maybe need to turn your focus somewhere else. Um, Figure out, again, back to that SWOT analysis, what you need, like what are your goals and what do you need to accomplish those goals? And do you have the right people around you to do that? I think if you, um, you know, notice something in yourself that could benefit from somebody else, really develop. If you can't read a room, partner with somebody that can read a room and then get feedback, you know, really, um, again, communicate. If you're setting up your company already, um, you know, be equitable, be the, be what you want to be perceived as from the very beginning. Don't go back later and have to apply DEI, right? Make the right choices, do the right thing, communicate, know that you're leading by example. It's going to have bumps in the road. You're going to have some bruises. There's going to be some grit. But I think if you're true to yourself and where you're headed and you're not afraid to ask questions and you're not afraid to hear things that don't always resonate with what you want to hear, um, you're going to end up in a better place with a better company or a better product, um, a better team, some grace, probably some panache. Just be open. I would say just be open as much as you can and listen and share and collaborate. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Gretchen, for your time. And as mentioned, make sure to check out Women in Sports Tech to learn about how to change the ratio of women representation in sports technology and Rasputi to begin your own journey to impact change at any level. Looking to hear more about what's happening in the health, wellness, and sports industry? Subscribe to this podcast, and we'll catch you next time on The Drift.